Hello everyone, and welcome to the podcast that has yet to be named. In this episode, Tim and I are joined by our friend Amanda Carpenter. We talk about white lies, the circles of relationship, social pleasantry slash obligation, introverts versus extroverts, the power of asking yourself what it is you want, vomit journaling, listening to yourself recorded on audio or video, and the power of meaningful conversation. Enjoy. Ah, so here we are. It, 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 it's official. This is the first official recorded podcast with the first official name as the podcast that has yet to be named. <laughs> that's a that's a Zemidge cue of, of interesting points. And uh, big news. I think I told you, Amanda, I know I told Tim that we're officially published now. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play Podcasts, um, Amazon Music, and Spotify. We can now be found on all those hosting platforms. Yay! We're famous. Famous, famous. Yeah. Uh, so what are we chatting about? I think we should... Uh, I would love to hear just what the calling is, uh, what Amanda has on her heart right now what's calling her with like the uh well actually i won't say with anything just in general what's calling you wow let's let's just jump in with a loaded question i mean yeah why not still trying to figure out who i want to be when i grow up but the calling's getting stronger and stronger to to build community and um and what does that even mean builds community so um builds community conscious community where we talk about, you know, real issues of what is going on inside of us. So Tony and I had a little conversation yesterday and we were talking about the concept of, of white lies, you know, like white lies, are they acceptable because they don't really hurt anybody? Are they acceptable? And my take on that is it still takes a bit of energy to come up with a little white lie. So it's really, how are we using our energy in a good, coherent, consistent way. And I probably should define coherence. Coherence meaning what we're feeling and what we're saying are in alignment, essentially. So, for example, a little white lie, you know, I might tell somebody a little white lie, which doesn't really happen anymore. Um, But previously, I might have wanted to tell somebody a little white lie because I didn't want to be uncomfortable in front of them saying something that was hard to say. Right. So it's really the discernment of what needs to be said, you know, because sometimes something might come up and it's actually I'm seeing something, but it's my own personal judgment of myself. Like it's coming up in my mind of, you know, let's just use a previous example because I had a body image issue of what they look like. So previously I might have thought like, oh, my God, why are they wearing that? Well, to, to have the discernment of does that need to be said or is that my own stuff, right? Like that's just my own stuff. I, I realize that now. So that doesn't need to be said. But let's say there's a booger hanging out of their nose. Like do I say, do, do I um, temporarily be uncomfortable and say, you know, you might want to wipe your nose or something or do you just let them be, right? It's like it's uncomfortable for the person or could be uncomfortable. It's no longer uncomfortable for me, but could be uncomfortable for the person who's saying it. But it's really a, a gift in general. 
right? It's really like helping that person because that way they don't go and be embarrassed in other ways or or this one happened to me over my lifetime a gazillion million times of somebody's fly being unzipped, especially as a physical therapist. Like I have somebody laying on my table whose fly is unzipped and I used to be super uncomfortable telling them. Well, here I am, a physical therapist who's comfortable getting intimate enough with them to do manual therapy, but not to tell them their fly's unzipped. Right. So it's that kind of stuff of, you know, sharing um, the discernment of what to share rather than holding back and reframing. Um, Or another example, and this will be the last example I give, is like if I don't want to do something to, to tell somebody, oh, you know, yeah, I'll get back to you, you know, and I'll let you know. But in that moment, I know I'm not going to do it. What a waste of energy for me to have to. Think about, okay, how am I going to get out of that? What am I going to say? And then also on their part, their expectation of, you know, me going to to do whatever it is I said I was going to do, and then I let them down, essentially. So in the moment of saying, you know, no, that that no for me right now, you know, it's it's not right now it's not going to work for me might be like 10 seconds of discomfort, but then I don't have the wasted energy. They don't have the wasted energy. So I'm having a hard time exactly putting it into words, but it's, it's how we use our energy to decide what to share with others. And so, so conscious communication, conscious community would be sharing the stuff that is going to end up taking more energy in our mind or in their minds to, um, to happen. If that makes sense. I'll stop there. <laughs> no, no, I get it. And we did have this discussion yesterday because, and I brought up the example, um, you know, Maggie and the, Maggie's car shopping, right? So we're, she's on Facebook marketplace and she's running around looking. So we're going out and we're looking at these cars. We went and looked at one and it was a Subaru. And um, <clears throat> one of the problems with Subaru is leaking head gaskets. So of course I crawl up underneath this car and I, the head gaskets are leaking. It's not terrible, but it's, I'm looking at it going, this is not, not what we need to get into. We're just going to have a problem again in 20,000 miles and come back out from underneath the car. And the guy's standing there. He's a nice guy. And I basically, instead of saying, look, your head gaskets are leaking or giving him any information. Cause he's like, you know, it's not leaking anything. And I just didn't want to expend the energy. I'm like, Hey, you know what? We'll, uh, we'll get back in touch with you for interest. And we have a couple more cars to look at, which wasn't entirely true. I had no intention of calling him back. Right. I'd probably have Maggie send him a message on Facebook marketplace like, hey, thanks for your time. But, you know, we're we're, we're going to find something else. But at that moment and for me, it was like I didn't see any value in telling him that his head gaskets were leaking. I didn't want to start a conversation or even a discussion or like a mild argument with him. It just it, I wasn't interested in the vehicle. And I'm like, I'm just going to say this and move on. It wasn't an un, it wasn't that I was uncomfortable telling him. I just didn't want to expend the energy. And then when Amanda and I were talking, it occurred to me that if you take yourself and then you draw circles out of the people, you know, you know, like that person is way out. He's like three or four circles out. Total stranger. I don't want to spend a lot of time or energy having a discussion with them. But if you're selling me a car, Tim, and and I look up underneath and say the head gaskets, I'm going to come out and say, Tim, you know, your head gaskets are leaking. Like, so I think there's levels of relationship. Um, you know, I, w- I don't, I'm with Amanda. I totally don't like people that are close to you, that inner circle. If I don't tell them the white lie. And if it's an uncomfortable conversation, I just have the uncomfortable conversation. But as that relationship changes, as you go out to those different levels, you know, the, the casual work acquaintance, you know, um, you know, that might be a different message. Um, and then you get to the total stranger. So I, for me, I think there's layers. Um, 
I have gotten good at saying no, though, to people, although oftentimes I will find myself and I don't even know if it's a trap. It's more I'll say, let me think about it or give myself that pause to think about it, even though I know 99 percent sure I'm going to say no. But I usually I've gotten good about coming back and saying no. Right. Say, tell you what, let me think about that. I'll get back to you tomorrow. And then, you know. I go from there. Or my, if it's something I don't want to do, I'm like, I just, no, I don't want to do that. So I don't know. That's my take. I really like that idea though of, I've never thought of that before, like the circles of relationships going out because yeah, I'm a lot more, I'm a lot less likely to stay in the white lies and, and, and keep it authentic with the people that are close to me that are in my circle. But once it gets a, like further out and a couple removed, and if someone's like, oh, we should get together and be like, yeah, yeah, let me know. We'll do dinner or something, you know, and it's like, you have no interest in that. Like if it ha- if they were to reach out and like, yeah, maybe, but you both know it's not going to happen. It's almost like this pleasantry that you have, like feel obligated to go through with people on some level. Uh, and part of that, I think, is just like some domestication of society or there's like some people pleasing in there or not wanting to fully close doors and, you know, but. That also, then that, that thought brings me to, are, am I leaving tabs open? Am I leaving tabs open that are kind of draining energy? And now there's these potentials. And when you see them, you still have to kind of play. And it's kind of inauthentic to play that role of like, yeah, yeah, we're totally going to hang out. You know, uh, it's like, you know, I think some of it just maybe comes back to some fear of people pleasing and just wanting to be liked or something, you know? So yeah, I would yeah, I, I definitely have seen myself falling in that track, not wanting to be thought of poorly or trying to protect myself or something. But I think now a lot of times it's just for me, it comes down to energy expenditure with a stranger. That communication just isn't isn't worth the energy I'd have to put into it at that point. And I don't know if it would have helped him. I mean, if I got underneath the car and saw something very, very dangerous, I would obviously say something like, you know, your tie rods disconnected like that or about to fall off. I would obviously say something because that, that conversation might have some type of benefit to it. But, and you know, what along the lines, what you were saying to him, you get into that. Sometimes you get into that, you know, that almost professional or work situation where you almost have to be politically correct or polite and say, you know, and basically give that kind of wishy washy answer. I guess you don't have to, Mm -hmm. but there are certain situations when it may, it does make life easier. Yeah, so I want to challenge both of you. <laughs> and and what you both said about those those circles of relationships because um so I agree there are different depths of relationships of of maybe how vulnerable and how authentic we're going to be. Um but when it when we when we could practice the the difficult saying the difficult stuff or what might be perceived as the difficult stuff with people that we're not emotionally attached to it actually in the long run will save energy because it'll just become a habit in how we are with those that we are close. So hearing Tony say, you know, I just don't want to expend the energy with it. There, there is an energy expenditure initially with being truly authentic. Um, But that's what I want to challenge. There doesn't have to be, if it becomes who we are, then if I'm always honest, but maybe the amount of detail is going to be different. So for example, with somebody who 
you like the car example, there's no emotional attachment there. So, um, you know, thanks so much, buddy. We're not interested. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Because that way there was the, the honesty of we're not interested. But again, if it's somebody like Tim, somebody close, we're not interested because then we decide to go a little bit deeper. But that like, you know, we'll let you know we got a few more cars still leaves an opportunity of of energy loss. Like then there's the, there's, there's the loop isn't closed. I I feel like is a good way. Can we walk away from every conversation and close the loop? And and maybe it's not very much information. Like I said, with the, with the car of just like, you know, yeah, we're just not interested. It's not a good fit. That's it. You know, doesn't work for us and then walk away versus. So I feel like as humans, when we start doing that with the ones we're not emotionally attached to, won't it be easier to do it with the ones we are emotionally attached to? Because then when it comes to, you know, I want to say something to somebody that might trigger them. And now I open an abandonment wound within myself because they're not going to be my friend anymore. Like that's harder shit. That's a lot of energy. But if I'm used to doing it and it becomes just a habitual way of being, it takes a little bit less energy with the emotional stuff. Make sense? Hear me? Like, yeah, no, I agree with that. You know what popped into my head was it's a little bit different of a situation, but being your authentic, like there's some level of like pleasantries like that you have to have with people uh, or I don't know, have to, but um, I just thought of being at a trade show, right? So imagine, I'm sure we've all had this experience being at a trade show and then there's someone who you see once a year who you don't. Like, you know their face and like you see them every year, but you don't really remember their name or much of their story. But there's like this obligation to stop and say hi, but you're also like on your way to something else. And it's not like you really want to spend a bunch of time asking them questions and stuff. And you stop, hey, how are you? And it's that level of authenticity of I really just kind of want to keep it moving and go over to this other booth that I was on my way to in the first place. Um, but then they'll, it's like, to me, it feels inauthentic after I'm like standing there for a minute and two, just, how are you? Oh, what's new? You know, that kind of, um, it's not like it's a white lie while you're talking to them, but you're also not super invested in that conversation. Sometimes it, I guess it could be some selfishness. I'm just, I want to do what I want to do and I'm on my way moving to where I'm going and not uh, looking at how I could be useful and actually connect and look at this person as another human being, same as me and just as interesting as anyone else. But um, that feels inauthentic sometimes when you're standing there and you're like engaged in a conversation that you don't really want to be in and you don't have that much interest in following through or talking or getting to know their story or anything where you don't have the time you know, just how to move out of that or move through that authentically. Yeah, I can see it. And I see what you're saying, Amanda, basically using the easy situations with strangers to practice for the more difficult ones, which is definitely a way to look at it. Um, And it is, I find it far more difficult to have that personal discussion because there's so much more at stake than with the stranger and maybe, and it, it has a lot to do with my personality too. And just, I'm always going to be introverted. I like it. I don't have a problem with it. And uh, a lot of times I need that space to make that decision. Yes or no. If somebody asks me something and it's a convenient excuse, I'm not going to lie to you. It's a, you know, but I don't mind giving myself that pause 
um, to even on the simple ones. And yeah, there's definitely merit to practicing it. I don't know. It's, it's really, it, it come being a trainer and having to stand in front of people and essentially as a trainer, being an introvert, there's this, I have a stage presence when I'm teaching somebody something and there's a certain amount of vulnerability that I'm willing to risk at a classroom that's different than I'm willing to risk with my close personal friends. And it, I have to have those delineations. And I don't know for me if I, there would definitely be value in practicing. I don't, but I'm not sure. I think I would be better served practicing it somewhere in that mid level, not on total strangers. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, to where there is at least a little bit of risk and vulnerability to share parts of myself that as an introvert, I typically wouldn't, but the, that would be a, a couple circles in from the total stranger. So I don't know. It's, it's difficult to, to run it through. I mean, there's always that, um, you know, obviously if something is a, is a problem, like I said, if I crawled up under that car and saw a major flaw and obviously say something to man, that would be unethical in my, my viewpoint, not to say, Hey, you realize your front wheels about to fall off. Right. Um, but I don't know. It's definitely, I see, I see it both ways. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Tony. Um, and I think that's what makes you, we see things very, very differently and the extrovert versus the introvert and seeing, and you know, there's, there's people out there who are going to, who are going to grab onto a little bit of, of what each of us says to circle back on what Tim said about the pleasantry and the obligation, where does that come from? Right? Like, because there is this, there is this, you see somebody and is it to please ourselves to make ourselves feel good? Is it society? Like, where does that come from? And, and what can we do about that? Right? Can we start to do we have the ability as humans to start to challenge that status quo and be okay with walking away saying, I'm not going to use my vital energy in that situation. I'm going to save it for the situation I'm going to. Like, yeah. So where does that come from? I don't know, from the the social herd mentality, maybe. I think there's parts of people just, well, you just want to be liked, right? Like you don't want to be disliked. And I think that's because none of us could do this on our own, right? You have to have a support community. You don't want to be disliked. And the the vulnerability of saying or doing something that could you could be then disliked by somebody else is essentially what we're talking about, right? Um, you know, that risk and that emotional risk that somehow, you know, if I, if I have a, a tough conversation with a friend of mine, are they going to remain my friend? You know, that there's, there's a risk there. And, but I think the social, the social pleasantry kind of comes back. You just don't want to be disliked. I mean, sometimes on a professional basis, like I might not like that person. I might not want to talk to him, but I am going to have to deal with him in the future. I would prefer that it just be more pleasant. Right. Um, than if I just kind of like, just keep walking and ignore him, which, now that I'm losing my hearing, it's that's super convenient. Just saying, um, it's super convenient to be deaf. Actually, in many, in many. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. <laughs> right, and it's it's almost true. Um, so I don't know. I think I think it comes from that that wanting to be like that social that I don't want to even say herd mentality, but that having to be a part of a community. You know. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that, Tony. I think in my experience, there's been times, and this is, this is my conflict with it, where well, I can get stuck in what I want and where I'm going and what I'm doing. And then I'm not looking, I'm not always aware of the greater purpose and the impact that I could potentially have on people around me. So there's times where I don't, I've thought, oh, I don't want to 
just don't want to be in this conversation or I want to move through and I don't want to stop and say hi. But I don't know uh, what that person might need or what role I might play in something that I could say to them, you know. And if I'm just focused on where I'm going, what I think I need and what, you know, my higher power is pushing me in the direction of, you know, I found myself in some really useful situations <clears throat> almost against my will where I was like, oh, I was supposed to stop and talk to this person. Oh, there's a thing here. There's a connection. There's a, an experience that I could share to be useful. Or they have this little tidbit of thing that like I actually needed to hear today, you know? And if I had just done what I wanted to do and just moved right through and I'm heading over here and this thing is what I'm going to do. And they're kind of in my way. It's almost like this selfish way when I'm not, you know, when I become more aware of the energy force of everyone else around and that, um, you know, that there's almost the, for me, a lot of times the, the biggest lessons I learn are like the inconvenient ones, you know, when I'm inconveniencing myself, you know, it's like a lot of times those, those benefits don't come from like the, the easy things, you know? So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a balance between protecting my vital energy, right. And like not using it in a way with these people, like with someone who like, I really shouldn't be investing that energy or, you know, using those pleasantries, but then also realizing that it's not always up to me who I'm going to be useful to and staying open and allowing my energy and the flow of, for me, that good orderly direction, you know, uh, to like use me to be useful, you know, so just as things come up and just accepting the situation of, Oh, okay. I'm stopping and talking to this person for a second, you know, and if I have the mindset of like, what's here, what's the reason for this? What's my purpose? You know, uh, but there's a balance because sometimes I do just um, need to protect my energy and I'm going to do the thing that I'm going to do. So it's, you know, uh, tapping into that intuition, you know, which is not always right. Sometimes I misread it, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, but yeah, I think that's that's the balance for me is finding finding my path through that. Yeah, so much good, so much awesome stuff in there. Um, what was interesting is you had said when I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking I want to do this, and I'm thinking I'm going to do that. And for me, when I hear people say I'm thinking, that tells me they're head based, ego based, like they're in their they're in their head right? Mm -hmm. Versus I feel like I need to stop and talk with this person. And I think that for me, see how I just said, I think, um, for me, it, it, it happens with the intention setting. So I'm used to be, and I'm, I'm getting better at the discernment of this really good at putting out fires. So what would the universe call me to do? Put out fires all day long. At the end of the day, I'd be like, shit, I didn't get any of my stuff done. And so I reframed my intention to how can I be of service? And then when I went to bed at night thinking, okay, how was I of service today? How much love did I infuse in the world rather than, you know, how many tasks did I get done? So I feel like it starts with the intention setting of like, what is, what is our intention for the day or for the week or for the trade show or whatever it is for our own big purpose. And then also, and you hit the nail on the head with this one, you're like, I don't always read that intuition. You know, the difference between intuition and our fear monger is oftentimes super subtle, super subtle. And really getting acquainted with the difference 
between the two of them to know that feeling of, am I supposed to from my heart? Am I supposed to stop and talk with this person versus is there some agenda or small self or limiting belief that this is going to feed by me stopping, which would be the fear monger. Awesome, Tim. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. My default's always going to be, no, I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> Just the way I am. Can't do with it. I'm working on it. Introverts like, nah, nah, if I have any, if I have any doubt, if I have any doubt, I go to default. Nope. I don't want to talk to him. Just going to ignore him. <laughs> Maybe that's why people never talk to me. I could be it. I don't know. You're sending out the vibe of, yeah, yeah. Well, and and uh, in my experience, introverts have to really, they learn early on. They might not understand it, but they learn early on to protect their energy. And so that might have been your way, Tony, to protect your energy. You know, totally subconsciously not knowing, but knowing that you had to do something to protect your energy. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think in joking aside, I think that because of my introvertedness and then also my life experiences, I pick up and I don't see them, but I pick, I didn't know it. I didn't realize I was doing it, but I pick up on a lot of social clues very quickly. And I have a, and I've learned to trust that intuition that, you know, that this is probably not going to be a, a worthwhile interaction or worth my, worth my time. And, it, and I've also, and like I said, you get very protective of it. Because, you know, as an introvert, for me to have that conversation is to expend energy. I don't build energy from having that conversation with strangers. So it's an expenditure of energy for me to do. So uh, it's easier for me to do closer into that circle and have a more meaningful conversation because that gives me energy, right? When I, when I can have those conversations like, like this, right? Even here, which is kind of the cool part about podcasting. This isn't a, while it will be out and hopefully lots of people are listening to it and learning from it, it's a personal conversation for me now. So I'm not expending energy as an introvert right now. I'm actually building it. Um, and the, and I think because of that, I'm very adept at those those social clues, right? And, you know, and, and doing through my, I find that I watch things like a hawk and the tiniest little thing will tip me off and I'll just step away from that conversation or totally avoid it really, really quickly. Right or wrong, I don't know. Like no one's perfect. And it is an interesting, like how much have I missed him? You know, how, how, much, it, how much value have I cheated myself from just by going to my default? But that for me comes down to there's things I control and there's things I don't control. And that's definitely one of the things I don't control. So I just try and roll with it. And I'm trying to get better. I'm far from perfect on that. And it... If I had to be honest with myself, I probably miss, I probably would have, I probably miss more than I would have suffered. I could have gained more, but didn't, but I, I, you can't, that would be living life in a rear view mirror, right? As opposed to the looking forward. So you do the best you can with it. And I do try to get better at it, but this, and it quite honestly, it's one of the reasons I avoid like your example of a trade show. It's one of the reasons now at this point in my professional career, just not interested in going. Because it's not a situation that I really thrive in, right? It's just not, it's not where my skill set lies. Um, it costs me energy, you know, to, to be at those things and do those things. And at this point in my career, I don't want to expend that energy on it. So I've just made that choice not to put myself in that situation. It's so interesting how just different people could be because I thrive on that. Like I thrive in a group of people, like a bigger group of people. Like, you know, if they're, it doesn't even have to be friends. It could just be new, new people. Man, I like get that fills my battery up. Like there's times where I could be in a group of people that I never met and just laughing and goofing around and I'll leave there and I'll get in the, 
my car to leave or something and I feel like I just drank a cup of coffee. I'm like, woo! I feel like I just throw like I get you know, recharged from that. Just so fascinating how different people are and how you know, that doesn't work for everyone and people have a different experience with that. You see, I would be the exact opposite. Right. I would be I would walk out of that situation like I gotta go home take a nap. <laughs> I'm tired. Like, geez, uh, that's, that's enough of that. I can't handle that anymore. Right. And I'm somewhere between the two of you because, you know, years, years ago, I actually was very, very shy. Um, And now I realize the shyness was, was really because I was reading energy. I was taking a lot of stuff in and I was trying to like figure out where I fit in. You know, like I didn't know who I was, so I couldn't like step into a crowd. Right. And as I've evolved and I know who I am, it's easier for me to know kind of, you know, who my tribe is, who my tribe isn't and and really just speaking my own truth. And so what happens sometimes after interacting with groups is I'm like full of energy, but it's ungrounded energy. And I'm going to crash a couple hours later. Like it's just like I, I actually say like my heart is stuck in orgasm. Like that's the way I explain it. I'm like, it's like stuck. It's like ungrounded. Like, okay, Amanda, reground that energy. So it's interesting. I'm somewhere between the the two of you mm-hmm. in that. And I think I've, you know, socially, I feel like that's how humans are in general and knowing where we are and where we fit in, you know, backing it up just a little bit, um, you know, for me to have those conversations and, and have that like that oneness of always being honest has been something that I have evolved into because some of the hardest conversations for me to have were the ones with people closest to me. But for Tony back in 2006, we've known each other since 2006 early on, you know, 2008, 2009, he had some of the toughest conversations with me and observations and gave me some of the, the best feedback I've ever received in my life that has made me who I am today. And so I can imagine how much energy it took him to kind of craft that, but from the now knowing him, but from the outside looking in back then, it was just who he was. Like it was just, that's what he did was give really good, honest feedback, but that's not who I was back then. And that's somebody that I continually daily strive to be, to give those closest to me the highest level of feedback using the feedback he gave me as a foundation. You know, sometimes when we say something tough to somebody, it it might cause them to abandon us, but what a gift it is to do that. I'm trying to see it from those eyes, which are, you know, very different than who I was, but, but my observation of who Tony was, was that's his, that's who he is. That's his foundation. Right. So even our, our own perspective of who other people are is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. It brought up, you know, in those situations, when I give people that feedback, I get energy from that as difficult as it is to do. I do it many times because I feed off of that. Like when I, when we had those conversations afterwards, I felt mm-hmm. good. Right. I'm like, yeah, that was, I think I made a difference there. I think I helped out. Right. Now, whether the person takes the advice or not, I can't control that. And that would, for a long, for many years, I'd be like, well, that was a waste of time. I'm not doing that again. They didn't listen to a word I said, but that's beyond my control, right? I can only control my, uh, you know, control 
my response to the situation. And I realized that that's, I was gaining energy from that. It's the same energy I get when I'm doing a training course or I'm teaching something, buddy, or showing something and you see that light bulb go off above their head. That's where I get the energy from, Tim. Like when you're, you, and you just see it and it's like, damn, they get it. It's like perfect, right? Or they, they come back or they, they say something that you said, right? Like you see that your lessons or what you're trying to show them repeat through um, the way they're doing their life. And, and it's important. And the other thing is, is I was, I don't ever, I don't, a lot of people confuse shyness with introvert and they're two totally different things, right? For a long time, I was very shy too, but that was a fear of vulnerability. That was, that was not having the courage to be vulnerable, right? Introversion is a different thing. Um, I'm not, I'm a private person, but I don't think I'm necessarily shy anymore. I don't have a problem having those conversations, but I'm still an introvert, right? And it just, it really comes down, like I said, Tim, you go into that big room with, you know, a bunch of people that you don't know that well, and you come out charged up. I just come out tired and I can't change it. Like I just can't, I can't, there's, and I'm not, you know, I don't think I'd want to. And it's just how each of us in those social situations feeds. And that's not to say that I'm shy because I could get in that room and I could spend, you know, you and I could be neck and neck there for a couple hours. You'd walk out charged up. I'd walk out tired. We'd both had a good time. It's just, you know, it's just the, just the different, the way, the way it goes. I think I walk out. I just had a uh, little bit of an aha moment in my head. Cause it's not always that I come out charged up and then thinking about being in a professional setting, right. Just again, using the instance of a trade show where I can't just, or uh, that I don't, uh, uh, be my authentic self with everyone. Those surface conversations, right? Where uh, Mm -hmm. we're talking about, or if we're having conversations about something that I'm not actually interested in and I can't, I don't feel the ability to be my authentic self where I feel like I'm holding some of me back because it's a professional setting or you're, you know, so having those conversations, that that's very draining to me when I'm in a group of people and I feel, uh, like I'm being my authentic self and have like, and just, just being me, you know, uh, where I'm not hiding any part of me. That's when I walk away, uh, energized, you know, but when Mm -hmm. I'm in a situation where I feel obligated for some of the pleasantries and the surface conversations, uh, I know Amanda and I have talked about this. I've struggled with that before with family, you know, where I'll go and see some family that I don't see that much. And I don't, feel as though we have that much in common and the conversations are kind of surface and it's just exhausting to me to be in those situations where it's like, Oh my God, you travel so much and you know, bubble. And it's like no depth to it. And it's kind of the same thing. And it's like, if we can't go deep and I, it's not this, it's not authentic. Like there's no authenticity to it. It drains my battery, you know? So it's sometimes I also wonder if that's my own energy field or if it's I'm just interacting with other energy fields, you know, and how that's affecting my energy, like filling me up or drawing me down. And if that really comes back to me, you know, my stuff, my side of the street on that. I don't know. That's a key differential there that I wouldn't have considered because I can't have an extrovert's um mindset right but that would i could see where that would be a key differential because yet i find that the older i get the less i tolerate small talk i just can't do it i just i can't 
can't do it. Like I just shut up. I have, I think I value words so much and time and energy so much that I, d- I don't want to waste them. I'd rather just be quiet and say nothing than say, fill the, fill the void with sound. Yeah. You bring up a really interesting point too, Tim, with family, <laughs> you know, mm. going back to what you previously said about those pleasantries and obligations, you know, sometimes when it comes to family, that's that's part of what's putting us there is that that obligation, whether it came from our own family, whether it came from society, but that obligation that we should, which is always, you know, somebody else's way of being that we should be there. And so family is just a tough one. You know, we when it comes to friends and who we spend our time with, that seems much clearer and much easier to discern, you know, yes or no. But then the family is one that's all, always a pull. And I'm really just recently within the past two years playing with playing with the idea that it is OK to not interact with family and it doesn't mean anything necessarily about me. It's just how I choose to use my energy, you know, because was I doing that just to please somebody else? You know, was I, was I getting involved in some family functions just so that my mom didn't feel sad, you know, so that, that she felt good. And when it comes down to it in life in general, it's so much of what we do is the anticipation of the impact it'll have on somebody else which we don't know life behind their eyes. It's just all manipulation of, of everything. And when we, when we step into what is it that I want? And then we invite other people to also, what is it that I want? What is it that I want? You know, everything can be different. We just, my husband and I just spent some time with friends who we had never spent time with before. And both of you know, when I open my home up and let somebody in, like I'm a terrible hostess, but that's because I already kind of screened who I let in. Like I only let those close to me in those that like open the cupboards, fix yourself something to eat. And it's not going to bother me. And I don't want it to bother you. Like I want you to be at home here. And so it was really interesting spending um, a week with them. Actually, it was in a it was in a condo. It wasn't in our own home. But like that whole concept of what is it that you want? Like if everybody, all four of us really just honor what it is that we want, we're going to have an amazing time together. And we had this neat conversation about living in a commune and how it could work and how it couldn't work. Everybody in the commune declared what it was that they wanted and lived life from that commune life would be easy. But if not, commune life would be living with a whole bunch of family members <laughs> and a whole bunch of bad friends. So it really comes down to what is it that I want and being okay and grounded with that. It's interesting how difficult of a question that is to answer. What do I want? I mean, I had a, I had a, a really powerful breakthrough experience with you where you guided me through and you kept saying, what do you want? And then, and you were actually asking, what is like my inner child want? And you, you just kept bringing it back. And it, I, there was a wall there and I couldn't, and it felt like I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't verbalize what it was that I wanted. And you kept saying, All right, well, just sit with that. Just ask, ask little Tim, what's he want? And then just tell him it's okay. Just tell him it's okay. And I started sobbing. I just like broke down and was like sobbing. But once I had that emotional release and uh, broke that wall down of what do I want, like, and being able to, like, to 
get through that and see. It was so clear. It was like, oh, I just want to be okay. I want to be told I'm, like, told I'm loved. And this is, and I had like this whole list that I wrote out afterwards and had like, it was so clear, you know, but it was so difficult in that moment. You would, you would ask me, what do you, so what do you want in this? What do you want in this moment? And I just couldn't grasp onto it. I couldn't verbalize it. And I knew there was this longing for something that I couldn't express it. And, you know, I kind of had to re- really, really let go in order to get in touch with that, you know, but it's, it's a, that's a really loaded question and really difficult to answer for a lot of people, you know, and I've actually been playing with that a lot. Um, just with people I meet, I keep all the time. I'm having conversations with people where, you know, they're, you know, it was, it was cool the other day. I had a friend who's like, yeah, he's gotten into a sales position. And I keep asking people if money was no object, if you, it's my favorite question to ask people. If you never had to worry about money ever again, all your bills, everything is set. How would you spend your time? What would you do every day? How would you spend your time? And, uh, you know, some after some thought, people will say uh, what their passions are. You can kind of draw their passions out of them. The other day, this uh, I had an interesting one. This guy said to me uh, that he would go around and interview people who were like elderly and like getting close to death and then write their life story for them. And then when they died, their family members would get it. And I was like, Oh, what a cool. I'm like, go do that, man. <laughs> it's like, you need to start doing that. But, um, and that's a little bit different than the experience, the breakthrough experience of what do I want? That was more like emotional needs, you know, but I guess it all kind of comes back to the same place. But most people don't even th- ever think about what do they want. It's not a question that anyone even asks themselves, you know. I ever tell you guys about vomit journaling? Vomit. <laughs> I think I might have told him. I don't know if I've told him. It's, it's, this is something that was uh, presented to me by one of my guides over the last couple of years. So it's pretty simple. What you do is you need a mirror, you need a pen, you need a notebook. And for a set amount of time, you know, um, 30 seconds to a minute is a good way to start. But you have to stare at yourself dead in the mirror, right in the eyes. Don't move. Don't speak. Don't do anything. Just stare at yourself dead in the mirror. Um, do that for whatever the set time is. And I'm telling you, you think, oh, I could do five minutes. No, no, you can't. Not comfortably. And you got to, it's almost meditation. You got to block out like, oh man, I got nose hairs, all that. And then as soon as you're done, whatever that time is, I think I started at a minute, right? Just get your journal and write down whatever occurs to you, like whatever, just that's the vomit part, right? Just, just put it out there. And that's how I answered a lot of those questions, Tim, was that vomit journal. There's something about staring at yourself in a mirror. I think I worked up to five minutes and um, the stuff that comes out is just absolutely insane. Like it makes no sense to anybody but you, but the answers I found for me, the answers were, were right there. Um, Not all the answers, right? But that, that there was a lot right there that, that came out and it was a very strange experience, but one I, I highly recommend. It's not for the faint of heart. Be ready and be, and you know, be open with yourself because you could fake your way through it. But when you open yourself up, it's like, yeah, I needed to sit down a little bit after that one. I love that. Let me try that. So very similar to watching yourself on video too, or hearing audio, you know, what's interesting, um, is I used to, there was this, the last time I did this, um, Jason pointed it out to me. So I was listening to something, this, 
maybe three years ago is when this happened. But it used to really bother me to hear myself or see myself on video. So like it could be done, like you could video, but then I'm not going to re-listen to it. I'm not going to rewatch it. And so I don't even remember what it was, but there was a video that came through or an audio that came through of me. And in the midst of that, I got like Jason and I are listening to it. And we were in the kitchen and I can remember we weren't like looking at it. I think we were listening to it, but I picked a fight with him. And what happened was I was so triggered. I was so uncomfortable with what I was hearing and seeing and the reflection of me, like it would just full on trigger. And so he called me out, which I so appreciate about like, look what you just did. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, look what I just did. And that made me start to start my journey of becoming very clear with who am I? Like, who am I? And what is it that I want? And the wanting part, when we ask ourselves that question, I realized it's so much easier to blame somebody else when they tell me what to do and I don't like it. You know, like it's so much easier to do that than to step into my power and declare what I want. And then what if it doesn't work out? I have to own that which is part of why it's so difficult to declare what it is that we want. And we hide behind these blocks, these subconscious blocks. And to this day, it's just as difficult for me to answer that question in certain situations of what do you want? And I really appreciate both of you for this because both of you are those conscious friends that I have that can talk me through that process. Because when we're in the midst of something, what do you want? We are so in tunnel vision and we've got to drop the, all of the blocks of that tunnel to see the possibility. And it really takes another human to consciously hold that space with us to walk us through that, to keep us on that path of, of discovery because on our own, in our own mind, you know, maybe it's not possible to, to declare that because we can't see what we can't see when we're in the midst of a trigger. But what is it that you want is such a difficult thing. And right down to like, what is it that you want for dinner? What is it that you want in this moment? You know, those those are were all the things I was observing in in this past week, spending time with. As I said, they're they're people that I that I've been friends with for a few years, but didn't know them at that level of sharing space, intimate space with them. And so to stand in the as long as I declare what it is that I want, everything else will fall into place, and it did. It did. Like to honor, you know, even when it came down to eating something. So I'll give a, I'll give a funny example here for some people. It'll be like, Oh, but for me, it's funny. So years ago, if somebody offered me something that they had, um, like food or something, even if I really wanted it inside, I wouldn't be brave enough to like eat it. Like, I don't know if anybody else has ever had this experience, but that was me. Like I would want it inside. So they had this, this peanut chocolate organic granola that was freaking so amazing and yummy and to die for. And, um, so there it was. And I was like, huh, I kind of want to try that. And okay. So I tried it. And then like a few hours later, I'm like, I really want a bowl of that. We had some coconut milk yogurt. I'm like, that's going to be so good with coconut milk yogurt. And like, I just helped myself to it. And I recognized that, you know, even just five years ago, I wouldn't have done this, even though the yogurt and the granola were calling me like, Amanda, you want to eat some of this. I wouldn't have done it. Like, what the F? Like, why? Why would I have blocked that out years ago? But now, like really honoring, what is it that I want in this moment? I want that granola in this moment. And there's a lot of layers of my own self-image and eating the granola and what that'll do. And what if I eat their stuff? Like the stories that previously used to take place, like, oh my God, what a waste of energy. But such a nice discovery 
to live life from what is it that I want? You know, the little girl inside of me, the six-year-old, wanted some peanut granola. And it was freaking amazing. <laughs> it was yummy. I mean, and I'm glad I ate. Man, now I'm hungry. Were you talking through that when I was uh, like sick? I had a colitis flare and I just was trying to be so strict on what I was eating and like just, but I had this moment of like, I broke down cause I was so hungry and I was out and I didn't know what to eat. And I'm like, I don't know what's safe and it's going to mess my stomach up. And it's going to like, <laughs> and I called you, you're like, what does little Tim want? What do you want? I was like, I just want a bowl of chicken and rice and vegetables. Like from the Spanish store, you're like, go have that. Then. And like to have that permission and you know what we could do to ourselves. Like, with that uh, discipline, you know, like, and not allowing that, like, you to have your desires. Yeah, you shouldn't eat chocolate cake every day, you know, or, like, it's probably not a good idea. But sometimes just, like, not punishing that part of ourselves and just, like, giving ourselves some of those pleasures of, like, what do you want in this moment, you know? I've been very strict over over in years past of what I eat and the things I put in my body and just been, like, so rigorous about that and it's also like oh, what do you want right now what's going to make you happy like what's like recognizing that inner child and like just what your needs are in that moment sometimes it is difficult that what do i want even just to eat <laughs> you know, so that question is so hard sometimes i usually find for me if i don't know what i want to eat i'm really not hungry <laughs> if i can't define it like like with a reason, I, I can't define it. Like, I'm probably not hungry. I'm probably thirsty. So I probably just drink a bunch of water and do it. But yeah, it is, it is difficult to do that. And you're right, that, that act of like recording yourself or videoing yourself, because I've done a lot of that in the last, what, four years? A lot. And I think the lessons I learned are sort of forgiveness and acceptance, right? To not try and edit out every little piece or every little mistake. Um, and what's the dividing line between, you know, what you edit out and what you don't. For me, it comes down to distraction, right? Is something I'm doing distracting or is, can I, can I get rid of that? Should I get rid of it? But then there's also leaving that, those spaces and that, almost that vulnerability there. Like when I mess up a word or say something stupid, I guess I just leave it in there. I'm way better at it now than I used to be. Like if we'd have done this podcast five years ago, we'd have done this recording for however long it ends up being. It would have taken me 10 times that amount of time to edit through it because I would have taken every little breath out and all that stuff and the pauses and it would have sounded great, but it now I don't like the, I'll listen to it. I'll go through it. If there's something that's distracting or something like that, I'll take it out, but I'll take out very, very little. And that's for me, that's begin a, a direct lesson of acceptance and just, it's okay. You know, it's good enough as it is. It's just, it's no different. I don't get that opportunity in a live conversation. Why would I give myself that opportunity now and take that authenticity out of it, that verisimilitude away from it? Yeah. And Tony, what you just said, that acceptance is so the depth of that, you know, for me, the acceptance, yes, the acceptance of the mistakes on film. Um, but for me, the the only reason that I could tolerate that is because I deeply accept myself now. The only reason I can tolerate listening to myself is because I deeply accept myself now. So what you just said about acceptance goes so deep into like self-acceptance and accepting ourselves 
authentically accepting ourselves for who we truly are. You know, those mistakes on a, on a recording or a podcast are one thing, but then those life mistakes, acceptance for those, there's such a, there's such a parallel. It's all the same to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a, a wonderful lesson in that and understanding that, you know, no, as a, as a, presenter and someone that stood in front of a lot of people over the last 20 years, teaching things, talking everything from, you know, thousands of people at a seminar to two people at a training course. Nobody's ever walked up to me and said, Tony, you, I, when you're talking, I hear you breathe and it drives me nuts. <laughs> like I, no, no one said that, right? Like the closest I've ever come to that was um, when I'm teaching live, especially arborists or tree people, I, my mouth, I, I cuss a lot, right? And I had someone walk up a student and he was offended by that because he was actually a minister. And I apologized and said, I didn't know it. Um, I apologize. And I changed my language to suit the audience, which was better. But even then I have, it bothered me then. Now I would be like, he chose to pick that out. Right. Um, which is fine. I, I, I don't have a problem with it. And that's his perspective. And I respect that. And you, you know, that's the case. Now I make it kind of a joke. I tell people, Hey, I tend to cuss a lot. Any ministers in the class, right. You know, and, and tell them that story. But for me, you know, that, that happened probably six, seven years ago. I struggled with that for a long time. Cause it's like, am I being inauthentic by changing or am I being respectful by changing? And I'm being respectful by changing because I'm, I'm respecting his wishes, but my internal interpretation is I'm being accepting of myself as I am. Right. Whereas it took me a long time to come up with that acceptance. And ironically, that the process of video, videoing myself and recording myself and having to edit myself and do all that has helped me really, you know, it just, it just is what it is. Right. It's such an uncomfortable thing at first to hear your voice or to see there was a, that video of uh, from heart math when, you guys use that. There's a clip from one of the heart math courses. And I was explaining, I watched that video and afterwards I went, Oh, that's why people think I'm gay. <laughs> Cause I'm kind of thinking yeah. I'm gay too. <laughs> watching my mannerisms and the way that I was talking, I was like, Oh, that's why my whole life people have asked me like, are you gay? That's but so also just accepting, just be like, oh, I move funny sometimes or like I talk with my hands or, you know, just it's it's crazy too how different you sound in your own head than when you hear yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's a really useful uh, thing to listen to yourself, uh, especially if you're like speaking publicly often because um, you'll learn, you'll hear different things. If you say like a lot or um, and the different pauses and you can actually work on those things, and just make yourself a better communicator and more useful. No, I totally agree, Tim. And what I've found to take that to the next level, when I, when I find myself doing those repetitive habits, like saying right or saying like, you know, I know that I'm not involved in that conversation. I'm only on the surface, right? Whatever's coming out is it's very shallow um, for whatever reason. But when I hear myself and I'm not doing that constantly, I know that I'm, I'm working at a deeper level and it's, it's interesting. I've, and because I now know that from listening to myself, when I find myself start to say, yeah, I know it was like this. It was like that. It's like, why am I so shallow right now? And should I fix that? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. But I know it. I'm aware of it. 
I heard a speaker one time talking about public speaking and about communication. And he was saying when people say, um, and there's those little pauses of, um, or like, it's actually just a fear of the silence, Mm. a fear of taking that pause and being more decisive about what the next word is that you're going to say. And he used some examples where he talked and said, um, and, and then, said the same thing without those. It was a lot more concise. Yeah, there were little pauses in between what he was saying. But it gave you a break and it gave you a second to like catch up with what was you know, being said. Yeah, no, I totally agree. People, that's something I've had to train myself to do and something when I'm working with other people on public presenting or training to take the power of the pause, right? It's, it's okay to say nothing. You have to be comfortable with silence. Uh, it's just the way it is. Like, it's fine if you, if it's like a lot of times you'll pause and an, an occasional, um, but when it becomes a nervous habit or you're just using that space to give your brain time to catch up, just don't say anything, but it's a hard habit to break. But when you do, you become more thoughtful and you appear more thoughtful because you are more thoughtful. Well, and without the mirror of someone saying, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but you say, um, a lot or every other word out of your mouth is like, you know, I used to do that and I see it in other people now, see that like, um, and like, uh, like, uh, you're like, okay, you know, um, so life life is not metaphor. So to actually listen to yourself on a recording or see a video kind of pick out those cues of hey i want to improve on that next time i do this i'm gonna you know work on not saying like so much or um or give some more pause or not talk so fast and yeah i feel like awareness of why we do that is like that's the the gift of like you know working on whatever that is it's so interesting as you guys were talking about this whole idea of public speaking, I was going over in my mind, like my journey of, of public speaking and how I used to like memorize stuff because I was so afraid to like not know something. And so there was this, this planning that I had in my head and the story that I planned to tell, and then I would actually deliver. And then what came out was what came out. And then like, Oh, why did I forget to say that? And I would continue to beat myself up over like, why didn't I say that? I didn't, that was in the presentation. It was planned. And, um, and the more comfortable with just being grounded and in that flow. So Tony, I feel like this is what you were alluding to of that, that flow of being in the, the flow versus that superficial kind of like conversation just to fill the space. Like you're not in it. Like you're not authentically, energetically in it. You're just kind of speaking from the head level or maybe having one of those conversations that um, is the pleasantry type conversation and not exactly like in it, in our heart. But when we're, when we're grounded in our body, in our heart, and we can tap into that flow state, it's amazing what comes out then. You know, because I'll, I'll catch myself talking and b- both you guys know about this. I can talk crazy fast. And so, so many people have said to me, you got to slow down. You got to slow down. And it was 2019 that I had this aha moment with feedback that somebody gave me. And she was actually the first person who said, like, that's authentically you. If that's authentically you, don't try to change that. So what I realized is, huh, why do I do that? I do that. This is the story I tell myself. 
I do that because everything I'm saying is not for everybody in this moment. And everything that I'm saying, you're not supposed to get it all. You're supposed to catch the essence of what it is. But my old, the old version of me wanting to like know and figure things out and like, you know, a 10 year ago version would have wanted to hear every single word because I would have wanted to be perfect. And so now I'm actually realizing that there are some people that want that, but just to let them know it's not all for it. You just pick up the essence rather than trying to slow myself down. Because as Tony pointed out, he was actually, we were doing like a train the trainer type program together. And he talked about how I pause and how I'll like lower my voice at times until he was like sharing that as a teachable moment. I didn't even realize I did it. And I was like, oh yeah, like sometimes I'll become a little bit quieter because I want people to lean in energetically with their whole body and like hear everything. So I was doing that, but without Tony's feedback would have never consciously known that I was doing that. So it's so interesting how we are when we're talking in public, to the public, on a platform, on a stage, whatever it is, the feedback for ourselves and really being the best version of ourselves so that we can give the audience the best message, the one that they're meant to receive. That's what I believe. It's not about me. It's actually about them receiving whatever it is they need to hear that's just coming through me. I like that. It's also, I have uh, had experience where what I was saying was being translated and the translators were like, please slow down. This is so difficult. <laughs> you're like, okay, all right, I will. And then three minutes later, you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that this is happening again. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, you know, recognizing those patterns in yourself and accepting them, right, is part of it. But And then you can, once you've accepted them and you recognize them, then you can start to manipulate them. So it's like you said, what I observed with you talking, Amanda, is when you physically slowed up is when you were making a point. Not that you weren't making a point with all the other, but you were leading to a point. And when you got to the point, what you really wanted the people to take home, you slowed up. And once you recognize that, then you can start to do that mm. on purpose. And you can really, I mean, as a, as a writer, if I write a really long sentence and then follow it up with a short sentence, I'm, I'm drawing attention to something. And I think you can do the same thing in the, in verbal and that, you know, that, that pause in the middle to let people to catch up. And then using a lower volume and then coming back out into a loud, louder volume. It's really the things I've learned to do them. I think some of it was natural, uh, just the way I communicate. But then once you recognize that and then you can start to put it to work, it, it really it's a very, very powerful way to to speak and train. And then you start to get those light bulb moments. And that's where I start to get the energy from teaching and training and speaking. And it's. It's important. And I don't have a problem with the surface conversation. I kind of equate it to like skin diving. You got to swim on the surface a little bit till you find where you want to dive down. Right. And then you got eventually got to come back up for air and be on the surface for a little bit. That's fine. But now I I'm getting better at understanding when I'm on the surface. And if I'm on the surface too long, it's like, it's either time to get out of the water or dive deeper. One or the other, right. It's the time to get back up on shore, change subjects and try again, or, you know, to, to dive down. <laughs> Well, clearly we're not very good uh, or we don't need, we don't feel the need to do surface conversations. We started this with, all right, Amanda, so what's your, <laughs> yeah, so what's your, what's your deepest desire in life? No. <laughs> Why are you like, well, Hey, you know, sometimes yeah, it's like, it's like sometimes you just got, you know, you just start in the bottom and you got to work yeah. your way up. I don't know. <laughs> what I love, ab- what I love about our conversations individually and collectively though, is that, 
we can jump in with something like that because of all the conversations we have already had. You know, like we our interaction on a consistent daily basis when we interact with each other, our conversations are like real and authentic and and raw. Like I can talk you know, I, I tell a lot of people, I'm like, I talk at Tony all the time. Like he's my Teflon moment at times. Like I can call and just clear, like something that would take me hours to journal. I can talk at Tony for 20 minutes and I'm like, all right, that's done. Like it's out of me now. But I so appreciate that because the relationship that we have in seeing each other authentically and loving ourselves so that we can deeply love each other is that there's no judgment, you know? And so it doesn't take the energy of, you know, years ago, 10 years ago, I would have never done what I do to Tony now, you know, but I so appreciate the role that he plays in my life of like, I can discover and have my own aha moments sometimes in just talking, but we have to get out of our head. It's like that story we plan to tell the story that actually comes out. That's where all the juiciness is. And then afterwards the reflection of like, huh, why'd that come out sort of thing. But that's why we can jump in and have we can ask each other these questions because we've we've contemplated them all for a long time and we're facilitating each other through through every conversation we have to be the best versions of ourselves so that we can help humanity do the same. I think you pretty much just stated why Tim and I decided to start the podcast because over time we realized that, you know, these types of conversations are a lot of people don't have that opportunity. And sometimes they don't have the opportunity because they don't know how, right? They just, they don't understand, or they don't understand the value of it. And I think that doing the podcast and recording it and just having a chat, because I admit it when we, when I first started thinking about it, Tim, I'm like, that's a little conceited. Let's just, let's just record you and I chatting away, you know, with different people, but, and getting feedback from other people outside and, and having them listen to it. They're like, they find it, you know, I hope. They're, they're telling me they're finding it engaging and it's, and it, and it adds value. I'm like, well, that's kind of why we wanted to do it. So it seems to be working, but you're right. And because you can, because there is that past history we share, we can jump in at a deeper level. We can, we don't have to start in the shallow end of the pool. We can go right off the diving board into the, which uh, many people I'm learning, um, especially through exposure with this podcast, don't have that. And for me, that's a foreign concept. I can't think of it. I talk to myself a lot. Maybe that's why I've, had that all the time my own my own best conversation companions myself but, uh, i don't know it, it is interesting to see that and it's a wonderful medium i think to share it with other people i think it's an interesting that's yeah that is how we ended up here and having this conversation it's the same idea of how we got into <clears throat> i started doing retreats is realizing that not everyone has this conscious community and it's the same idea why i'm so passionate about what we're all doing together about building conscious community you know when you go out in the world and you realize that not everyone most people don't have this level of connection and friendships of people they can just call and like have like you know real conscious conversation and someone you know not tell them what to do or you know just to be there uh that's yeah that's how we ended up here and we, um, you know, give and realizing that we might, I hold that space also for people, you know, so, and, and this kind of brings me back to the pleasantries with some people or some of the conversations that you fall into with people sometimes is realizing that most people are not on that level or not, not that they're not on that level, but they don't have that level of connection in their life. So you might represent that to people who, because I have so much of this in my life. I might not be seeking it, but they're seeking it. 
And that might be why they're drawn into you one year walking by and they're like something in them reaches out to say, Hey, Hey, hey and they want to stop and talk to you. And to me, it's not always that big of a deal because I'm, I have conscious community, but there might be something in them that's reaching out because they want that connection too, you know, and then to see that when you're having, you might be holding that space for somebody else of like, Oh wow, they don't get this all the time. They don't get this level of connection. And like, I'm holding this space and exposing them to this different energy that they're not used to, that something in them is longing for and reaching out. So just being conscious of that with the people that I interact with all day, I, I may be holding a different space for them than they hold for me in this moment. You know? Well, and I think that's a really important thing to highlight too, is that you might be playing a different role. You know, what's really important for the audience right now to recognize is we're, we're not just lucky we have each other. Like we have all done our own personal work to allow us to interact with each other on this level, right? Like if I held myself in, in self-judgment, there's no way I would call and cry on Tony's shoulder, you know, (laughs) like, because I would be judging myself that, oh my God, you know, I'm this person who is supposed to have all my shit together. Like I can't let him see me like that. Like that would have been the story I would have told myself 10 years ago, but because I seem, I accept myself I'm willing to let myself have that depth. And I feel like that is what we're trying to um, help others with the retreats, the leadership programs, all the different things that we have is to, to first and foremost, help people develop that relationship with themselves so that they then can live in conscious community in a grounded way. Right. Like, I mean, we, we, didn't just get, we're not, we don't have each other just because we're lucky. You know, I think that's what it's, it's because of the work that we've done and we've all put in a shitload of work (laughs) on this human journey, right? A lot of, um, a lot of depleted, lonely moments that have been processed to allow us to shed those layers of our own judgment to achieve what we have today. You know, we didn't just happen to, to get here by accident. You know, we, we've worked at it. And it's so worth it, though. That's what I want to share with everybody. It's so worth it to now have that because I don't spend days in that depleted state anymore. I have all I can do to last hours. I mean, as quick as Tony or Tim would pick up the phone is all I'm going to sit in it for. (laughs) Yeah, not lucky. Blessed and blessed. Yeah. So much gratitude. Yeah, it's law of attraction right you know as you change you attract other and then learning how that works right and selecting those people and keeping yourself surrounded with people that that are like that and then to understand and probably probably one of the biggest lessons i've learned in the last four or five years of this journey here is that there's there's never a destination it's there's only the journey and the moment you think you've arrived you never will Really well. Only got Once you come to understand that, then the value of everything else is. Thanks for joining us, and don't forget to find us on your favorite podcasting app. See you next time. <laughs>